Mandalore would never turn against the Republic. The Duchess Satine values peace more than her own life. Oh, I'm aware of the Duchess's views. Master Kenobi, Mandalore's violent past is behind us. All of our warriors were exiled to our moon Concordia. They died out years ago. Hmm. Are you certain? I recently encountered a man who wore Mandalorian armor. Jango Fett. Jango Fett was a common bounty hunter. How he acquired that armor is beyond me. Liar! Greetings, Bucketheads. Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 19th action-packed episode of Mandovision, Nargai Tom. And thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Today, we are here to talk about Chapter 14, The Tragedy. Written by John Favreau and directed by the incomparable Robert Rodriguez. Remember, the best way to reach out to this podcast is via social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Please... Make sure you are liking, subscribing, and sharing the show with all the other Mandalorians in your clan. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, many, many more. But if we're not on the one you want us to be, let me know and I'll make sure we get on there. And if you are listening on Apple Podcast, please make sure to give us those sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews. They help small, independent podcasts like us stand out and not get lost in the asteroid field surrounding Hoth. They also taste as good as a crat dragon roasted by the pod racer engines. Delicious. Please head over to our parent website, 3bzine.com, where you can find a link to all of the shows of the 3bzine network, including Beer Night in San Diego, the TomCast podcast featuring yours truly, and Mandovision, the great podcast that you're already listening to. You can also find our store envy page over there where we have merchandise for all three shows, t-shirts, sweatshirts, all the swag you could possibly get your hands on. And if you want my face on your body somewhere, this is the place to go to get that happen, to make that happen without having to get a tattoo. Uh, sorry, liquid carbonate canisters are still out of stock. Before we begin the show, we have to address something that happened uh, very recently, after shortly after we released the first episode of Bantha Tracks earlier this week, uh, where we were sort of uh, speculating a little bit about the end of Star Wars Rebels and kind of where Ahsoka fits in with things, where where does Grand Emble Thrawn fit in with things. And uh, I conferred with several people before recording this podcast to make sure that I wasn't crazy, and that it seemed that the epilogue at the season finale, at the series finale of Rebels, took place shortly after the events of Return of the Jedi, the Battle of Endor, particularly in the, in the beginning of the Fall of the Empire, when, when Sabine Wren and Ahsoka Tano jet off to try and find their friend Ezra Bridger, who, as we talked about, using using uh, crazy methods, was able to take Grand Emel Thrawn out of, of or off the board, as in shoot out into the unknown regions of the galaxy. Well, Filoni came out and said that it's possible that the Mandalorian is actually taking place before that epilogue, which... Uh, changes our perspective on things a little bit. Now, granted, he said possible, which could be uh, Filoni just kind of messing with us, stirring the pot a little bit, trying to get the fans uh, uh, to start start 
doing even crazier speculation than we than we already like to do. After all, it is Star Wars. Why not speculate our brains out? Because hey, that's that's what Star Wars fans love to do. Uh, but it does it does. I don't know. I guess I had a hard time uh, contextualizing that because if the Mandalorian takes place before they go off in search of Ezra, but Thrawn's back. I don't know. It just seems. It's it's interesting to me. Let's put it that way. And I suppose it's com- it's completely conceivable that Thrawn would have made his way back from the unknown regions without Ezra Bridger, and perhaps Ezra Ezra is still lost, or perhaps Thrawn killed Ezra Bridger. I guess these are things to know. But the implication would be that if the Mandalorian is taking place before that epilogue from Rebels, Thrawn made it back. Ezra is still lost, and they must have a reason to think that. And perhaps that is the information that. Ahsoka needs to get from Grand Admiral Thrawn so they can find Ezra in the Unknown Regions. I don't know. It's just, again, uh, kind of food for thought, I suppose, is is why I wanted to bring that up before we dive into today's episode. So I wanted to put that out there, again, give you guys all the information that I have available to us. I thought it was an interesting comment from, from Filoni. And it, it's, uh, again, it just kind of makes you think. And like we have to kind of reshape, recontextualize uh what we had just talked about on on volume one of Bantha Tracks, which I hope you guys are liking those Bantha Tracks episodes. Uh, they, they've been a lot of fun to be able to kind of uh, uh, talk about old Star Wars lore and uh, speculate about things on this show, about Star Wars in general. Uh, so I'm really liking doing those. And there'll probably be a, a good chunk of, of Bantha Track episodes that are going to come out uh, in, the, in the time between The Mandalorian Season 2 and Season 3. So So keep that in mind. I think it's a lot of fun. I love that I'm sort of able to pay tribute to the original Star Wars fan club magazine uh, with with the name. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's who's been doing it, but for me, it's it's a fun nod to uh, to the origins of the Star Wars fan base. <laughs> I guess is the best way to say it. All right, but hey, you're not here for that. You're here for Chapter 14, The Tragedy. Once again, written by John Favreau and directed by the one and only Robert. Excuse me, Robert Rodriguez. You know his work, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, the Spy Kids movies, so much good stuff from Robert, from Robert Rodriguez, and and really cool to see that he was the guy who was behind the camera for a very action-packed, action-centric episode of The Mandalorian, and oh boy, oh boy, we have so much to talk about, but we're going to do it right after this, so strap onto your buckets. Let's go. I'm here for the armor. If you want my armor, you'll have to peel it off my dead body. I don't want your armor. I want my armor. That you got from Cobb Van back on Tatooine. It belongs to me. Are you Mandalorian? I'm a simple man making his way through the galaxy. Like my father before me. Did you take the creed? I give my allegiance to no one. Yeah, so that all that all happened on this episode. Uh, let let me let me tell you right off the bat that I was completely blown away with this episode. I absolutely loved it. I wasn't sure. Um, I wasn't sure which what direction they were going to take this episode in after the big Ahsoka episode last week. But uh, th- this season, the Mandalorian has had its foot on the gas. The entire time, and it's it's been fantastic to watch. The hardest part 
for me about watching this show is I get up insanely early so I can watch this epi- these these episodes uh, before I go to work because I I can't I can't handle the uh, the not knowing and the potential oh someone could walk in and say something about this episode and I haven't seen it yet and that makes me uh, insane so <laughs> I get up very early roughly three o'clock in the morning to watch these episodes and and the hardest part about that is not is not the getting up because I'm excited to get up and watch the show. The hard part is that I cohabitate. I have a wife here, and the 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 restraint that it takes to not hoot and holler and howl and scream in delight at, at some of these episodes, particularly in this season alone, uh, is just it's almost more than I can uh, more than I can manage. And it's at this episode, I'll tell you what. Like I'm just gonna kind of cut to the chase here a little bit. When when Slave One comes screaming across the sky. And you see Slave One for the first time in, in so long. In so long. I think the last time we saw Slave One in a live action uh, setting was what, episode two? You know, I think it was featured a couple times in, in the Clone Wars cartoon because that show did a pretty nice job of kind of following up with Boba Fett after Attack of the Clones. And we sort of see him develop into the bounty hunter that he will become. Uh, so So interesting, interesting things there, so great to see Slave One just in the sky and, and, and come down for a landing. Just And obviously the big reveal with Boba Fett. And, and there's a lot of, of stuff to unpack from the conversation that Boba Fett and Din Djarin have with each other in this episode. Um, we'll get back to... We're going to go kind of through chronological order like we normally do. Uh, so I, I, I just had to, tell, I just had to kind, of, kind of do that first. I'm not going to lie. I was really excited... I am such a big fan of Boba Fett, and and to kind of get him back in in into into play, back in the armor was just massive, just massive, so great, and and filled my heart with so much joy. I hope you guys can't hear my little my little Grogu's out in the other room; they are making their presence known. So I apologize if you if you can hear that in the background. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, deliveries probably making their way through the hallways right now. Anyways. So let's go back to the beginning of this episode. We have the Razor Crest rocketing through space on its way to Tython. And and Din and Baby Grogu are, are playing a game with the with the with the with the control knob. You know? Din's getting Baby Yoda to use his little baby, is getting Baby Grogu to use his force powers to take take the little control knob. And it's something that really impresses uh Din. And uh, sort of I don't know, it's sort of Charming and endearing to see him, uh, uh, you know, continue to bond with with the child in this way. Really sweet stuff. And then something crazy happens. They actually get to Tython with no problems. There's no side trips. They're, they aren't ambushed. They aren't waylaid. <laughs> and I have to admit, I was rather surprised by that. Now, we know that Moff Gideon has a tracking device on on the Razor Crest. And listen, I'm I'm no... Imperial tactician, an imperial strategist, strategist, Jesus, an imperial strategist. Um, I would have thought that trying to take the Razor Crest in space would have been uh, far easier than than the plan that Moff Gideon had. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you you swoop in there, you get one of your ties to shoot some ion beams at it, ion in the ion bit blasts in Star Wars. Uh, render engines inert, and so you 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 
make the Razor Crest. You set it adrift by hitting it with a couple of ion blasts. You you board. You shoot some gas into the into the Razor Crest, and then you you, you take the child and you shoot Dinjarin in the head after you take his Beskar helmet off. Now it's possible his Beskar helmet will filter out uh, uh, smoke and stuff like that. I don't think they've really clarified that in the series just yet. But you know, perhaps Din would have been able to lay in wait and start picking off stormtroopers one by one as they as they made their way into the Razor Crest. I don't know. I'm just spitballing with you guys. What do you all think? Did you like Moth, the Moth's plan to kind of just send down sh- shuttle after shuttle of stormtroopers to get just their asses completely whipped? I don't know. I don't know. But we make our way to Tython. Regardless of all that, we make our way to Tython, and we're gonna get answers. We're gonna get we're gonna get Grogu up on that scene stone. He's gonna commune with the Force. He's gonna make a choice about his destiny. Um, you know, sounds good so far. I was a little um um a little underwhelmed with with Tython. Uh, we we saw so very little of it. We didn't see uh, the ruins of a former temple former temple or anything like that, unless it was just completely uh, um. Well, completely small, <laughs> unless it was uh, just not an emphasis. You know, Ahsoka sort of led us to believe that we would have a chance to to see a ancient temple, sort of in the way that we saw those old uh, uh, rock buildings that the Jedi lived in on Atchtu, where Luke where Luke was. Again, a small little quibble, but I thought I thought it was worth mentioning. They just and they and they find that scene stone pretty quickly, which is uh, convenient for them. That was good timing. Uh, you know, and perhaps it emits some sort of energy that that Din was able to track. Uh, he he was playing with the scopes quite a bit, so it's perhaps it's it's possible he was able to detect something on there. But they set down on Tython. It's a very rocky, hilly terrain, so they can't land the Razor Crest there. But they park the Razor Crest nearby, and then they take off in their jetpack, which which leads to a great scene of Mando flying with the child in his arms, his his giant ears flapping in the wind, and it's cute and endearing. Something else about this episode I, I wanted to mention is is the, the the breakneck pace at which it goes. Uh, this this episode moves so fast. It's it's it is a shorter episode. It's like you know thirty three thirty four minutes something something like that. And I don't I don't think that counts the recap time. Um, but this is a brisk episode. It just boom boom boom, and it's a lot of action, a lot of great action stuff. And like I said earlier, or maybe I didn't say it earlier. But I love seeing stormtroopers get punched in the mush and shot in the face, and and just, I love that. You know, it's fun. It's been fun in season one to watch Mando kill a bunch of goons and, and hired guns and thugs and things like that. But man, there's nothing more enjoyable than watching the stormtroopers just get blasted to smithereens. That is some good entertainment right there. Love it. Give me more of that, please. And it sure looks like we're gonna be getting more of that. But we'll talk about that. We'll get there. Slow down, Tom. Pump the brakes. My gosh. So, Dan places Baby Yoda. Jeez, I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna. It's gonna take me a little while to get to, to get uh, deprogrammed from saying Baby Yoda. Din is is placing Baby Grogu on the scene stone, but nothing's really happening. So, Din can't figure out how to make it work. Baby Yoda's just kind of chilling. <laughs> See, I did it again. Baby Grogu is just sort of chilling there, and 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 they're they're sort of perplexed. What to do next? And that's when you hear the engines coming through the atmosphere, the arrival of Slave One. We played the first clip, the first bit of the confrontation, of the exchange between Din Djarin and Boba Fett. And, and again, so wonderful to see Boba Fett 
on screen on uh, back in in live action Star Wars. This is uh, this is and this is very interesting. What happens here? Now listen, they they completely blow the re- the, the the reveal of Shen, of of Fennec Shand because they show her in the recap. So why would you show her in the recap if you if you weren't going to have her in the episode? Uh, you know, because they they showed the boots on the ground after finding Shan's body after episode five, the Gunslinger, chapter five, I should say. And uh, I have to admit it. I have to admit now to you, wonderful people listening on this show, I was wrong. I thought that maybe we were getting a misdirect on on the boots coming up to to Shan's body at the end of that episode. Now we know clearly. It was Boba Fett indeed. So many, many, many fans were right. I was not one of them. <laughs> I I somehow thought this show was going to throw a misdirect at us. They wanted us to think it was Boba Fett, but it was actually going to be something different. And and for a, a brief time, I entertained the notion that it would be uh, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character, the Cobb Vanth character, would be the one to find Shand. But since she wasn't on that episode in, in that, for the beginning of season two, uh, I, I, had, I sort of had to dispel that notion and... I began to admit to myself that I think I was probably wrong about it being Boba Fett, and sure enough, I was wrong. So, but good stuff. I love, and I, again, it would have been nice if they hadn't shown her in the, in the recap of of, pre, of you know previously on the Mandalorian. Uh, but it's it's still a great reveal, and I think I'm gonna play the rest of that conversation that we opened the episode with. So, so hang on here. We're gonna finish this one up because th- th- again, a ton of great information here. I think there's a lot of really pertinent things for us to really talk about and dive into because, hey, listen, you know, you know, if you've been listening to this show, you know, I'm a fan of the FET and we've, we've had comprehensive discussions about Boba Fett in the old expanded universe canon and in the new canon. And the information that we get in this episode is illuminating to say the least. And it shows uh, Filoni and Favreau, Again, starting to reincorporate some of the old expanded universe canon back into the character, and well, listen, let, I'm I'm going to play the clip first. We'll we'll get a chance to talk more about that. So here, hang on, listen to this. Did you take the creed? I give my allegiance to no one. The Beskar belongs to the Mandalorians. It was looted from us during the purge. The armor was my father's. Now it's mine. What's to stop me from dropping you right where you stand? Because I have a sharpshooter up on that ridge with a lock scope that will unload by the time my body hits the ground. I'm the one wearing Beskar. As soon as I see that muzzle flash, you're both dead. I didn't mean she was going to shoot you. My friends locked on to that little companion of yours up on the hinge. And if you remember, I don't miss. Fennec? You have a keen ear. Mando. You point that gun away from the kid, or I'll drop you both where you stand. Good stuff. We're good stuff. It's a long scene. I don't want to play the whole entire thing because, you know, we're doing a podcast here. You guys watch the episode, right? Anyways, <laughs> really good stuff there. And and I, um, it leads to a, a big confrontation. Again, we're having a bit of a standoff here, but I was, I was intrigued by the idea that Boba Fett is approaching... Dinjarin and and asking. I mean, he's he's he, okay. He's kind of demanding, but he's having a conversation about getting his armor back. I thought for sure. I thought for sure that Boba Fett's uh, return to the series was going to be 
uh, in an adversarial role against Din Djarin because uh, because of, of Boba Fett's nature. You know, he says that there his allegiance is to no one. He he serves one master himself, and and uh, that is you know very much in line with the Boba Fett that we know and love, and it's great. But again, I thought for sure he was going to attempt to ambush or or kidnap the child to ransom back for his armor. Uh, instead, they have a, a, a bit, again, a discussion about it. And the conversation is interrupted well, with, with the arrival of the stormtroopers. But again, I, w- I was surprised with the direction that they took here. Uh, I love, I love uh, the references to Django. I really enjoyed that as well. And again, he opens with that line, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way through the galaxy, which is what Django says to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Attack of the Clones when they first meet on uh, on Kamino. So so a, a nice callback to the prequel series, the, the prequel trilogy. Uh, we, talk, we get a little bit more information about the Purge, about the Beskar. Again, we know from Episode 1 that Boba Fett's armor is... Beskar now. That's a bit of a contradiction to some uh, material that existed prior to the Mandalorian show. We were led to believe that Din Djarin was one of the few fully Beskar-plated Mandalorians out there, and that a lot of the other Mandalorians were armored with Durasteel. Uh, that seems to be something that is going away, and that, that uh, just about every set of armor seems to be at least Beskar-plated, if nothing else. Again, we we don't have all the details on the Beskarine. If anyone has any more information about it that I maybe I haven't come across yet, please send me a link or or just uh, uh, hit me up on those social media links and, and tell me I'm wrong. And, and please, uh, if I'm wrong, uh, sort your uh, cite your source so I can I can uh, read up and, and get the information too. But I thought that was uh, again something we learned back in, in episode one of this season, uh, technically chapter nine, that that Boba Fett's armor is Beskar as well. But again. I sort of love that we're, 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 and we'll talk more about it because there's, there's more conversations to happen, but, uh, that, uh, that Beskar, that's a big deal. And, and yeah, we'll talk more about that. Don't worry. So uh, this is when the stormtroopers arrive. This is when, uh, this is when the action begins and it gets pretty darn awesome. But yeah, again, Boba Fett, not, not taking a adversarial role, a confrontational role, uh, surprised me a little bit. So again, they force his hand because Fennec Shand uh, has her sniper rifle locked onto the child, onto Grogu, who's up on that scene stone. And then they 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 do this sort of disarming disarming scene. Now I'm not gonna lie, I, the, my one. Well, again, I mentioned a couple, another little quibble, but I am completely miffed, miffed. I think I go with miffed. Bubba wants Django to Django. Bubba wants Din to remove his jetpack. I'm not quite sure what for. You know, they're they're sort of disarming so they can have a conversation. But Din's rocket pack is just that. It, it's it's a jetpack only. It doesn't have uh, it doesn't have the missile capabilities that Boba's does. Uh, so I don't know what he thinks is going to happen other than maybe he would try to fly off. So that going with from that, that he doesn't he doesn't want to risk Din flying off, Din puts the jetpack down on the ground. 
okay, all right, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna annoy me more later, and we'll we'll talk about that because now Fennec Shan has has joined the party, and she's about to reveal she has some sweet uh, cyber organs things going on there. So she's got a little little machine abdomen going on. I don't know what to call it exactly. It was uh, fascinating as she sort of pulled this uh, this this hatchback and hatchback a piece this piece of fabric and revealed the her new inner workings that have her uh, alive and kicking. But I do want to mention I said it before when we were talking about speculation before season two started. I'm really excited to see Ming Na Wen back as Fennec Shan. I thought it was a character with a lot of potential, and now that she's allied with Boba Fett. That is even more potential for awesomeness. And we love potential for awesomeness, especially on this show. Especially when it comes to Boba Fett. Because Boba Fett is an awesome dude. And if you think it's odd that Boba might have a partner now, it's actually not. It's That's actually fairly... Uh, it's something he's done on a fairly consistent basis. Yes, he he has a loyalty to no one, according to him. But but uh, it's not unusual for him to partner up every now and then to to achieve something to help achieve a goal to achieve a mission to achieve a bounty that that sort of thing, and you can you, that, you can watch those that's in that's in the cartoons that's in Star Wars Rebels it's something that Django teaches him as a, as a kid it's in some of the comic books as well right now, so so fascinating stuff there, um, whew, sorry got a little went little catch my breath there for a minute. But uh, yeah, so they're gonna have a conversation, and and it's an important conversation because it's about again about the armor, about Django, about Mandalorians and Mandalor and Mandalore and and the whole shebang. So we're gonna play a little bit more of the of this conversation because it's again it's important. We're gonna have a big conversation about Boba Fett here in just a minute. All right, so let's hear more. And I am now in his service. All right, that's Fennec wrapping up her part I want of the conversation. my armor back. It goes against the Mandalorian creed. The armor was given to my father, Django, by your forebears. In exchange, I guarantee the safety of the child, as well as your own. The bounty on your little friend has risen significantly. You can buy 10 suits of armor for the price on its head. I'd say we're offering a fair deal under the circumstances. And here's where the stormtroopers arrive. And uh, they quickly decide to sort of team up here because nobody wants to fight the Empire. But Din runs off, and instead of grabbing his rocket pack, he's just gonna—he's just gonna run away, and you know he's gonna run back to the to the scene stone to to get Grogu to protect Grogu. Just why didn't you grab the rocket pack? I don't understand. It really makes me kind of mental. Okay, so Din gets back there, and now he sees the scene stone is activated, and baby uh, baby Grogu is is. Communing with the Force, he's in a little meditation pose. It's super cute. But Din's trying to get him so he can protect him. And this, this sort of Force barrier that, that Grogu finds himself in shoots Din backwards across the, 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 the surface of the scene stone area and renders him unconscious, which, which puts us in a position where we get to watch Fennec and Boba Fett kick the holy crap out of these stormtroopers. And, you know, again, Fennec, a sharpshooter, Starts picking them off one by one because that 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 blastoid armor, plastoid armor that the stormtroopers wear, it's no match for for her uh, sniper rifle. And uh, Boba, not too bad of a shot either with his long range uh, weapon. I'll have to get more specs on on the type of weapon that he uses here. But uh, again, I love this because it shows a the Boba Fett is 
a team player when he wants to be, but also that he and Fennec are a pretty powerful duo, especially when it comes down to mowing down Stormtroopers. Uh, uh, really impressive. So much great... Uh, uh, I, I want to say banter, but that's not the right word. But I love the dialogue between the Stormtroopers here. You know, where, where the one the commander's calling the one an idiot and he's telling him to flank him, stuff like that. But here we get some serious badassness uh, from Boba, where he's just pummeling stormtroopers with his gaffy stick that he acquired on Tatooine. And you're watching him just smash stormtrooper armor, just completely obliterated. You're seeing just chunks of it flying off, smashing heads, impaling them on the, on the gaffy sticks. Again, the gaffy sticks, in case you aren't remembering, the weapon of the Tuscans. And uh, Boba Fett pretty darn lethal with a gaffy stick. And I love the shot of the smashed skull of a stormtrooper. Just so great. And that that's kind of like a Robert Rodriguez just showing off how good he is at doing action. And again, more stormtroopers come out. There's a second troop of transport that descends. And I, again, we've seen... The first time we got to see a stormtrooper dropship was, I believe, in The Force Awakens. And I thought it was a really... Uh, a, powerful way to start that, that that movie. So it was really cool to see the dropships come into play again and stormtroopers charging out of there. Uh, but the stormtroopers do seem to have a bit of an upper hand as they, they get their EE-14 Blaztec web. E, I think it's an E-web blaster cannon in, in position and they just start unloading on Fennec and she has to start running for dear life. And that's just how it goes sometimes when you're when you're in the Star Wars galaxy. You have to run for dear life. But again, I can't, I can't uh, commend... Rodriguez enough for this incredible action sequence, especially especially where where, where Fennec, uh, uh, you know, pushes the boulder down and does like an Indiana Jones esque uh, rolling over of stormtroopers with a with a rolling boulder. It, <laughs> I loved it so much. It brought so much uh, glee to my my heart to see these stormtroopers just getting smashed by a rolling ball down a mountainside. And she's able to take out the the e, the e blaster the e web the I think it's the e fourteen e web Ugh, I messed it up you know what I'm saying though it's <laughs> meanwhile Boba still smashing stormtroopers with his gaffy stick but he's about to make his way over to the Razor Crest because uh, he sees an opportunity but not after he viciously impales a stormtrooper with that with that gaffy stick but yeah he catches a, a sight of his armor in the hold of the Razor Crest, and it's time to arm up. And it's great. Again, more great action stuff with Fennec. Uh, there's a great shot of her jumping up a rock and shooting back at the Stormtroopers. We go back to the scene stone, and, and, and Din is still trying to get Baby Yoda, but he's well aware that the more Stormtroopers have arrived on the scene, and it's time to go. And again, he tries to get Grogu out of with the whatever that force energy field is that he's in, and again he can't penetrate it, so he makes the decision that he's going to have to uh, protect Grogu until whatever's happening is done happening, and whatever communing Grogu is doing with the force is, is is over. So he heads back down to the battle, which again could have achieved been achieved a lot faster if he had his jetpack with him, but he doesn't. And again, as soon as he leaves, the communion with the Force is over. And so he could have grabbed Grogu and been on his merry way. But we miss out. But that leads to this amazing sequence where Fennec, out, outflanked, outmaneuvered, outgunned, 
Din arrives on the scene to give her a hand. But even 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 Din doesn't have enough firepower to stop all these stormtroopers. But some great shots of of Din taking some blaster fire to the chest and moving around Fennec, and they again making a formidable formidable team. These these assassins and and trained guns know what they're doing. But the forces of the Empire are moving in. They have them pretty well pinned down. Good thing Boba Fett's about to mark his arrival with a thermal detonator. Again, more just great action stuff. And it's so good to see Boba in the armor kicking all the ass. Yeah, he has the head tilt down perfectly. It's so wonderful to see. And just so many weapons. <laughs> I'm playing the audio, but there's not much to hear other than just chaos and, and uh, uh, you know, shooting and plastoid armor being destroyed. But it's impressive. And again, you see Boba Fett and how lethal he is. And the knee rockets. I mean, I've never seen that before. Boba's a bad, bad man when he gets that armor back on. And he sends the stormtroopers running, which is pretty hilarious. And then he's going he's gonna to use that rocket pack like we, the way we saw Cobb Vanth use it in, in episode one of the season. And he's going to knock out two stormtrooper, stormtrooper transports with one rocket. It's pretty darn impressive what he does here. And I love it when the, when, the, when the little antenna comes down. It locks him to the one target. He's a little out of practice. you got to cut him a break here because uh, he hasn't had the armor in quite some time. At least five-ish years or so since he found that Sarlacc, Sarlacc pit and lost it. But again, a, a great way to close out this this fantastic action sequence between uh, Fennec, Din Djarin, and... <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Uh-oh, but here's where the real tragedy comes into play. A shot from orbit destroys the Razor Crest. And that is no bueno. So Boba takes off for Slave 1 because they have to figure out what's going on now. They want to know more about what that what just happened. What just happened there? And they see the Imperial cruiser overhead. But it's time to get to time to get back to Grogu. And this is when we see the dark troopers deploy. And it's really great. Have the dark troopers been engaged. There we go, see? Momentarily. Gideon does a nice little little nod, and we see the troopers rocket off like Iron Man out of the out of the cruiser and head towards the scene stone to to capture Grogu and bring him back to Moff Gideon. I was a little surprised that they went full cybernetic with the with the with the dark troopers. I thought they might try to do like a bit of a hybrid thing here, which is one of the phases of the dark trooper program. But they went they went full you know dark trooper battle droid kind of kind of scenario here. But again, really great and. Uh, I feel like uh, I feel like maybe am I crazy? I feel like some of the visuals they use here are very reminiscent of, of Iron Man and his drones. You know, like he, when he has the different drones in like in Iron Man three in, in, in the Age of Ultron movie. You know, they, there's a lot of similarities between the way these dark troopers move uh, along with the other Iron Men from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It might be just a little bit of a wink and a nod to the, the great work that Favreau did, even though he didn't do Iron Man three. I know I'm aware of that, but you know what I'm saying. So the dark troopers grab Grogu, they shoot up into into the orbit, back to the not to orbit, you know what I mean, back in high up in the atmosphere, so they can rendezvous with the cruiser. Boba is in pursuit with Slave One. 
You just, I just love hearing that engine. And a great sequence here as as Boba Fett's gonna take shot at take a shot at him. I don't want the child hurt. Avoid pursuit. Disengage. Do not harm the child. Copy. I'll do a loose follow. See where they head up. Yeah, I like the way this scene plays out because I really like the fact that Fennec and Boba Fett have a really good partnership, it seems. And and you know, he listens to her and, and she listens to him and they seem to achieve a lot of goals. I mean, Boba Fett was able to track Din Djarin without a homing device on on the ship. It shows what a good tracker Boba is. The Empire. They're back. That can't be. The Outer Rim is under the jurisdiction of the New Republic. This isn't a spy stream. I can see the Imperial Cruiser with my own eyes. Heading down. Yeah, I don't, Boba's not going to engage in a conflict with that. And then the cruiser takes off from from high orbit or from high high in the atmosphere. It's looking like it went to hyperspace, which is a little bit weird. But uh, that that's again picking some nits. But we won't do that right now. And then uh, we get Din scouring the wreckage of the Razor Crest. There's nothing left. There's there's barely anything left. There's some random pieces, some random parts here and there. But he does find the control knob. You know, the thing that uh, reminds him the, probably the most of, of Grogu and what he's lost. His, his as Boba Fett called him, his companion, but, you know, also his friend. And, again, a, a, sort of a, a foster child to him, very much. Shows that the strength of that bond they have. One other thing is recovered from the wreckage, of course. And that is our newly acquired Beskar staff. Because that's going to be clashing with a Darksaber in the very near future, is my guess. But uh, again, I'm a, a, the sort of bond that happens, that develops between Fennec, Boba, and Din is really interesting. Uh, they've kind of become compatriots in, in their fight against the Empire here. I want to play the audio from this sequence so you can check this out. Visca, I want you to take a look at something. My chain code has been encoded in this armor for 25 years. See, this is me, Boba Fett. This is my father, Django Fett. Your father was a foundling. Yes. He even fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars. Then that armor belongs to you. I appreciate its return. Then our deal is complete. Not quite. How so? We agreed, in exchange for the return of my armor, we will ensure the safety of the child. The child's gone. Until he is returned to you safely, we are in your debt. Ooh, ooh. allies. That's, they're gonna come in handy, especially now that, that uh, Din needs a ride. And they head back to Navarro. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna pause the recap of the episode right here because we have a lot to talk about. That unpacking that I mentioned with, 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 with Boba Fett. So much to dive into here. Um, you know, we we did a whole episode of 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 Boba Fett and why it's important to know that he's not a Mandalorian because that was what they told us. That's what they told us in the new canon in Star Wars: The Clone Wars. I opened this episode with that sound clip from the season two episode, uh, the 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 Mandalore plot, and. 
at the time, we, we were under the impression that George Lucas, the man himself, was very adamant that Django and Boba were not real Mandalorians, that they were bounty hunters and they had acquired their armor through less than noble ways. Um, and that was the new canon. The old canon was that Boba Fett was always a Mandalorian. Always, always, always. I love the old canon. I'm not going to lie. But I sort of had to em embrace the new canon for what it was going to be. And, and you know, I, you, you can only fight against uh, these things for so long before you just have to kind of deal with with whatever changes because it's, you're, you know, you're the audience and you, you, you have a passion for these things, but you're, you're not in control of any of it. So you kind of have to temper your expectations and temper your emotions about some of these things. You know, I was sad when a lot of the old canon went away. But as we talked about on the Banthatrax episodes, we're reincorporating so much of it with this series that I shouldn't be terribly surprised that they decided to, to do this, to, to, to reignite that bond, that, that, that heritage that Boba Fett has to Mandalore, to the Mandalorians. Now, Boba Fett's still his own man. Again, he said it before. He swore no oath. He's leading to no one but himself. And that is perfectly fine. That is within the scope of Boba Fett's character. But in that old canon, he was much the same way. And it wasn't until he was sort of... The force isn't the, isn't the right word, but he sort of came back to his people and he, he reconnects and rediscovers the bonds of being a Mandalorian and, and what it means to be a Mandalorian. And and he becomes a part of this this society that's trying to uh, rise up again and become become a, a, a proud and noble people once once more. Which is strangely the situation that Mandalorians find themselves in in this series. Pretty wild stuff. Pretty, pretty wild stuff. Now what I'm what I'm really interested in and as I alluded to uh, on on the previous episodes of this podcast, you know, between between seasons two and three of The Mandalorian, we will be going back and exploring the Clone Wars animated series. And if we have time to get to it before season three of 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 of, of, of Boba Fett, of, <laughs> if we can get to it before season three of The Mandalorian returns, we'll get to Star Wars Rebels too. Now, Boba's not in Rebels. I know that much. But there's a lot there. I'd love to go and revisit some of the pieces, some of the elements that they they, they, they allude to with Boba Fett and his Mandalorian uh, uh, ancestry, I suppose is the right word. Because not only is it, is it important to uh, realize that Boba Fett's kind of being reincorporated into, into Mandalorian society, but they establish his father as part of Mandalorian society. And at some point, he either left or was exiled or... Uh, something occurred that caused him to go his own way from his own people. Uh, you know, we heard the line there that uh, that Django fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars. That's important stuff. That's big time stuff. And again, we played that sound clip from the Clone Wars from season two to show that maybe that character, uh, whose name I forget, I think he was like some sort of a provincial ambassador or something like that. I forget his name at the moment. Was lying about about Django and perhaps had something to do with Django being uh, uh, ostracized from from the community, from the clans of of, of Mandalore. Uh, it's it's again, it's really interesting stuff to sort of begin to parse through 
And that's why I want to go back and kind of revisit some of this stuff with the Mandalore plot episodes, going back to Death Watch, because we have to get more into Death Watch too. Now that we know that Din Djarin is part of the Children of the Watch, a, a, a sort of offshoot of the Death Watch, it bears going back and re-exploring that, and I'm going to be doing that so we can talk about it more on this on this podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. And I couldn't, again, I can't tell you how excited I am that they're bringing these elements of the character of both Django and Boba's character back into canon, back into the continuity, because I loved it so, so much. I, I spoke very highly of the, the Karen Travis, uh, Boba Fett, and, and, and uh, Clone Trooper novels that she wrote, um, because it had so much wonderful material about the Mandalorian society, the Mandalorian culture, and the way they are as a people. And that was when when those books were 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 still coming out when 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 Lucasfilm was acquired by Disney, and when the decision was made to basically wipe out the expanded universe, and, and they were going to start fresh again. So it was a really uh, a, a kind of a, a punch to the throat, if you will. Because I loved those books so much, uh, this there was this wonderful, rich exploration of the society, of the culture of the Mandalorians, and it was just being so casually thrown away, and it really bummed me out and made me really sad. And I sort of, I sort of rebelled against it for a little while. Like I was sort of mad at the Clone Wars cartoon for doing that, and it it was it it was not on first viewing. I didn't fall in love with the new Mandalore and the new Mandalorians overnight. It took some time. It took several seasons of the Clone Wars for me to sort of come around to this new, this new version of the Mandalorians. But like I said, right now we find ourselves in a very interesting place in the Star Wars universe where uh, there's a lot of similarities between where the Mandalorians are in this show, you know, sort of hidden beneath the surface. Now again, that's the Children of the Watch, but Mandalorians apparently are just laying low and sort of scattered around the galaxy to begin with. That's why Bo-Katan is trying to get that Darksaber so she can rally the clans together again and they can take Mandalore back, their home planet, their ancestral home. She wants to do that for her people and bring them all together again. That's not too dissimilar from the old canon. Sure, Bo-Katan's not a character in the old canon, and it's Boba Fett who's the one who becomes the, the rallying force to bring the clans together. Is that what's going to happen? Could that be what happens? It is just so fascinating to think about and again if you if you know that old canon it's such a, a such a rich and rewarding experience to kind of see these things come back into play to, to see these elements brought back in and again i i always thought it was a mistake to distance boba and Django from from mandalorians to kind of reduce them to, to thieves and just bounty hunters and, and kind of like the the scum of the galaxy you know you know, we don't need their scum here. And that's all they kind of were. They were they were uh, uh, thieves and impersonators of Mandalorians. They were using the Mandalorian uh, reputation to be able to charge more for their bounties, uh, for, for for collecting bounties, I should say. I, I was never was 100% on board with that. And I think if you listen back to the Boba Fett Explained episode, you'll, you'll hear that in my voice, <laughs> that I was not crazy about that notion. That's just kind of the way it was, though. And I, I wanted to present those facts. Because, again, the rumors were there that Boba Fett was going to come back and we needed to know where he stood. But what this show has done so wonderfully before, they're doing again, where they're bringing back that old canon. And now there's a bit of a mystery. Why does that character that we, again, I, gosh darn, I wish I had his name handy. 
tell Obi-Wan Kenobi that Jango is nothing but a thief. There's more to that story now. There's more that there's more to go back and tell, more to talk about. Uh, and we are in a, a precarious position now with the show as well. With Boba Fett, with Ahsoka Tano, these characters who have uh, Im- immense fan bases already from, you know, Ahsoka's case it's only been like 10 years or so. But Boba Fett has a 40-year-old fan base. Uh, Dan is in a, in a dangerous position of becoming a, a side character on his own show. <laughs> which is it's, it's sort of interesting, but uh, Din seems ca- quite capable of sharing the spotlight at this point, which I think is good for him because uh, that's just seems to be the way it's going to be as we get this sort of longer, larger glimpse into the Star Wars mythology. Just, just fascinating, great stuff, and I I can't I can't get enough of it. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, and I think I think that's all I have to say about that particular aspect of, of Boba Fett's uh, sort of being reintroduced to the Mandalorian people. And won't it be interesting if Boba Fett has an encounter with Bo-Katan Kryze and we get to know more about maybe why Jango was ostracized, why he left Mandalorian society. Again, food for food for thought, things to think about, things to consider for down the road. You know, Again, the rumors continue to swirl that there will be a Boba Fett spinoff series but then again, basically every character who's appeared in the show is rumored to have a, a, a spinoff series in the works. All right, so Boba takes Din back to Navarro. He's hitting up Cara Dune for some information. Cara Dune, by the way, and officially a marshal of the New Republic. Uh, but she asks him to go look for look for Mayfeld, the the Bill Burr character from Episode Six of of, of last season, who's now in jail for you know trying to break out that you know for the crime they committed basically in Episode Six. It seems odd that uh, he would try to to uh, potentially break a guy out of prison who would who did who betrayed him. <laughs> so, uh, an interesting interesting uh, idea on 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 Mando's part, on Dinjarin's part. But let's kind of play this scene out a little bit between between Kara and and Din. Here we go. Looks like a real piece of work. What do you want with him? I need to spring him to help me locate Moff Gideon's light cruiser. You know how I feel about the Empire. But these stripes mean there are rules I need to follow. They have the kid. Well, that does the trick, doesn't it? All right, now we flash back. We, or we flash over to the Imperial cruiser. We're with Moff Gideon. And we're about to see uh, Baby Yoda. Oh, God, I did it again. Gosh darn it. It's going to take a while. I'm, I'm sorry, folks. Uh, little baby Grogu. Uh, just <laughs> whipping around some stormtroopers. <laughs> it's it's a little dark. It's a little twisted. I'm not going to lie. But we we've, have sort of talked about how Grogu has experienced very deep, very powerful trauma in his past. And a lot of it probably at the hand of Imperials. So him slamming around these stormtroopers... Uh, probably has a lot to do with that. He's probably lashing out. Now, luckily, he doesn't kill these stormtroopers, which would have been very dark side of him. Of him. Uh, but it, I, I, I'm curious to think if I'm curious if you all think he's just defending himself from the stormtroopers, or if he's lashing out at them aggressively in a, in a dark side sort of way. What's interesting also about the scene is when Gideon comes into the room and shows Grogu the dark saber. 
Gideon has the stormtroopers stun the child, put him in stun cuffs, and then they just kind of lock him in his quarters. Little small baby Grogu with stun cuffs, sleeping on a very large bench. It's a, it's quite the scene. It's quite the spectacle. And and that's that's how we end things today. Quite, quite an episode right here. Unbelievable, unbelievably good stuff. Oh my gosh. There's just, wow. Wow, 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 wow. We have really set the table for an epic final two episodes of the second season of The Mandalorian. Let me tell you that right now. Oh, baby. All right, so yeah, I've changed my mind, and I want to play that, that final scene between Grogu and Gideon. And you can hear uh, the screams of the stormtroopers here. Wait. As, as uh, Grogu's just slamming them into each other violently, viciously, choking one of them even. And you have to wonder about potential PTSD for, for Grogu. Is that why he's lashing out, or is he... Is he a little bit of, got a little dark side in him? You've gotten very good with that. But it makes you oh so sleepy. Have you ever seen one of these? Oh, shows him, shows him the dark saber. From years past. You think Grogu ever had a lightsaber? Probably too young, right? I wonder if Grogu's trying to use the force to, with to steal from him. I so would put an eye out for one of these. Interesting. Looks like you could use a nice long sleep. Then you, you have to start to shoot a baby with a stun ray. Put it in shackles. When we come out of hyperspace, send an encrypted message to Dr. Pershing. Let him know we have got our donor. Yes, there sir. There it is. Plans are in place. Time to make some force creatures. Force beans, potentially. I guess we'll have to see how that goes. But that that's the end. That's the end of the episode right there. So interesting stuff there. And and uh, the way sort of Gideon taunts him and the way poor little Grogu looks like he's trying to use the force to, to pry that Darksaber from Gideon's hand so he can use it against him. Again, does Grogu... Yeah, you know, we've seen the flashes. Does Grogu have a little dark side in him? And, you know, obviously, what, what did Grogu see? At the scene stone, did he see a, a dark path before him, a path of light, or does he choose to go a different way and and, and follow Din Djarin somewhere and and you know I don't know learn the ways of the Mandalore maybe. That's a conversation for another time. I guess we we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, Grogu not the most communicative uh, with with us, but maybe maybe perhaps uh, you know it, it, later this season if our Beskar plated hero is able to rescue the child once again. Uh, uh, Grogu will find a better way to communicate with him. Uh, possibly some sort of force melding or force visions or something that he can communicate through the force to Din Djarin. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we'll see what tricks little Grogu has up his sleeve. Really great stuff. Really really great. All right, so we're going to we're going to wrap it up now. It's time to close shop. It's been a lot of fun. I want to thank everyone who's taken the time to download and listen to this podcast. It means the world to me. Uh, we we have strong numbers, and I'm really excited about that. It means it means that uh, uh, hopefully you're 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 doing your you're doing good things and you're sharing this podcast with people because it seems like we're getting some people to come and check it out. And I hope that if you're new, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Be sure to reach out to us via social media. That's the best way to get a hold of us here on the show. We're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. That is the best way to hit us up. 
Remember, we're on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. And if you're you're doing the Apple Podcast thing and you have the time, give us those sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews. They are uh, they're, they're what we need as, as a small, independent Star Wars podcast. Uh, you know, those five-star reviews help us kind of change the algorithm and get us get, get, get some eyeballs on us who maybe otherwise wouldn't see us because we are so small and so independent. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Anyways, thank you all so much for listening. We're going to be back next week for Chapter 15, and I can't wait. I can't wait. I have to get pre- like prepared to control the enthusiasm so I don't start yelling and screaming in my house at 3 o'clock in the morning and waking up my dear sweet wife because that would be very, very rude of me. And I don't want to be rude. Can't do it. Thank you again. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.